Welcome to Watchmen on the Wall, a daily outreach of Southwest Radio Ministries and SWRC.com. God is still on the throne, and prayer changes things. Today, Dr. Lonnie Shipman continues his brand new series on the King of Books with our host, Dr. Larry Spargimino. We want to say hello to all of our friends listening today on the radio or online. Thank you for being here. We're excited to announce that you can now hear Watchmen on the Wall on the websites oneplace.com and sermonaudio.com. More ways to access the Christ-centered clarity that's needed now more than ever. Whether you're listening on the radio or online, if you're new to Watchmen on the Wall, be sure to request your free new listener pack. The pack includes a welcome letter, history of the ministry, the latest issue of our Prophetic Observer newsletter, and a free gift. Get your free new listener pack by calling 1-800-652-1144. That's 1-800-652-1144. Here's our host, Dr. Larry Spargimino, with today's guest, Dr. Lonnie Shipman. Friend, did you know that the Bible is an historical book and relates people, places, and events that you can find in the annals of history? That's true, and we're going to continue our discussion with Dr. Lonnie Shipman, author of King of Books, The Bible and Archaeology and History. Indeed, the Bible is unique among all books. It's the Word of God, and it comes to us as a reliable witness and message concerning the great acts of God in times past. Dr. Shipman is with us again. If you did not hear our previous program, it can be accessed by going to our website, swrc.com. It's a fantastic program, lots of information. You'll want to listen, like I say, Even if you heard the program, there's so much information on the program, you want to listen to it again and go over it. It's a fantastic program. Lonnie, we're back with you. So good to have you. Thank you so much. It's very kind of you and very great honor to be here. Well, I know as we were speaking in in the break, the book of Daniel is critically important, especially for today, because the prophetic book, if you understand Daniel, you'll understand Matthew 24, Luke 21, and the book of Revelation. So, Daniel has always been a target of the skeptics and the atheists, but what does archaeology, what does linguistics say about the authenticity, the reality of the book of Daniel, and why we should listen to it and believe it? Well, specifically Daniel 5, for instance, where it has the writing on the wall. Many, many, tikal yufarsin. Later, when Daniel speaks about it, he calls it many, many, tikal peris. And actually, this is writing in ancient Aramaic, sometimes earlier called by another, by another language, the Chaldean, but it wasn't really Chaldean, it was actually Aramaic, they know. And um, this Tikal and uh, many, many, many Tikal is actually named, names for uses of money and weighing money. So we're saying that Babylon is going to be weighed and found wanting, right. and Paris and Eupharsin are actually the same word. Because I wondered myself when I read that, did Daniel not understand it? He used a different word than what was prophesied or written on the wall. What was written on the wall was Paris or was Eupharsin, and Daniel said Paris when he explained it. They're singular and plural with the same word, and they mean the country is divided. Mm-hmm. Half is given to the Medos and half were given to the Persians. So he's showing the division of the country by using money, like the concept of money. But it is the same word, and even even the way they use language, showing God preserved his word, even to the smallest detail. 
Yeah, and didn't Daniel from like chapter 2 to 7, doesn't he write in Aramaic and not the traditional Hebrew? Well, I'm not, I haven't written here of exactly which chapter, so much sure that chapter 2 was Aramaic, but it may, may be, yeah. I have notated it here somewhere in the book, but I don't have it in my hand at this moment. Uh, I do not really read Aramaic, to be frank. I had to look up <laughs> yes, details myself. <laughs> Anyway, I'm preaching through the book, and so, yeah, I believe those that's correct, chapters 2 through 7, and, of course, he's dealing with okay. Gentile kingdoms, and Jesus right. spoke Aramaic. I think that's all very significant, and for me, that says, right. wow, the Bible is inspired. God knew what he was doing. He even changed the language to match the subject matter. <laughs> so, so I, you well, know. Well, I mentioned about the Aramaic, too, uh-huh. in the New Testament. Jesus yeah. preached in the Aramaic, yes. Book Aramaic and actually in Aramaic targets. In other words, explaining the the Bible with Aramaic and giving additional revelation. And so that's and the prophet the apostles did too when they explained it. So they weren't just reading Septuagint; they were giving the Hebrew word in Aramaic and then explaining it. Wow. Yep, that's all true. Well, let's move to the New Testament uh, locations and so forth. Uh, we had been speaking about the Old Testament. Indeed, the Old Testament is God's word, no question about it. Jesus quoted from it, Paul quoted from it, and they endorsed it, so that, I don't care what the scholars say, I, <laughs> I believe Jesus, but scholarship does prove that Jesus and Paul were correct. It is God's Word coming to us from antiquity. But let's talk about some of the locations in the New Testament. What about the, the Pool of Siloam with five porches, and what about Capernaum? I, I think they found the synagogue where Jesus taught, and Peter's house where they had church services. So so tell us about Pool of Siloam and Capernaum. Yes, in the Pool of Siloam there, nearby is a, is a Crusader church. They were, they were searching outside, and they found the Pool of Siloam, a very deep pool, actually. But it had, uh, in the middle of a, of a pool, a, a porch that separated into two sections. So the middle one is considered the fifth porch, four around it, and one in the middle, just as the Bible described. And they didn't expect to find five porches. That was what was unusual. So they they mentioned the porch in the middle. So there was a porch in the middle. In Capernaum, they found the ruins of a synagogue, which was a fourth century synagogue, beautiful limestone synagogue. Underneath it, they've proven now that the the, uh, earlier black, uh, really a black uh, kind of uh, volcanic rock, where they first built the first synagogue, that's where Jesus taught. And they found now pottery and things like this to prove the time periods. They also found Peter's house, and they, it was originally just a two-room house. But later, they built a church around it, a small church, like a house church. Then later, an octagonal church, slightly larger. Then later, a large, almost cathedral size. So in other words, three or four churches kept getting bigger around this two-room house. In the house, they had uh, fish hooks they found in the flooring. They found a pot with Peter's name. They even found a way that Peter brought the water in. Peter seemed to be really ingenuous. He, he had a ability to bring in the water and catch fish right there outside the house in the little area right there. So even a mechanism of helping catch fish right there nearby was built into the house area. All these things show that it wasn't real Peter, and they, they know that this is where Jesus stayed when he would preach in Capernaum, and there was a real synagogue where Jesus prophesied, of course, about the fulfillment of Isaiah 61, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me. Many other things in the New Testament are found over and over again. I see, you know, when, you, when you're talking and when I study about this, I, I really see the love of God. And the way I see it, I, I think, you know, we are in the 
in the last days. I think we're at the end of the last days. And I, I, I believe that archaeology, some of the lexicographical work that's been done with ancient languages, um, some of the things that they found, this is God saying, hey, people, this word is true. We can prove it. You need uh-huh. to get saved. Come to Jesus. Believe on, the, you know, I, I see all of this very significant. I don't see it just scientifically, but I think God has love for all people everywhere. He's done everything <laughs> to prove that the Bible is true. Uh, his son has been raised from the dead. The Holy Spirit has been poured forth on the church. People have gone all over the world preaching the gospel and so forth. So for me, all of this is, well, should I say emotional? It really is, because I don't just look at it as a scholar. I do. But I see this really says something about our God. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten yes. son. I, it's, it's tremendous. Well, that's why he the evidence. Yeah. Uh-huh. To show the evidence to the world. Yeah, show the evidence. This is the proof. And if you neglect the proof, boy, you are guilty and in bad shape. So, but let's talk. Let's say your, your book deals with uh, the two possible locations of, uh, of Calvary and, and the garden tomb. And tell us yes, a little bit about that's that. that's an unusual situation. Most people will not even deal with this because it is, uh, how can I put it, uh, we know we cannot prove it necessarily either situation. But to, to wonder, is there another possible location besides the Catholic location? There are several questions. The question of the Catholic location, for instance, the Catholic location was in the center of town. We do not know there was is in, outside the city. The Bible says it must have been outside the city. The Church of the Holy Sepulcher, is what we're talking about, was not outside the city right. necessarily. There's a small wall that found recently, well, last within the last hundred years, about right, seventy years ago. But they don't know for sure when this wall was built, and so that's the big problem. There is no garden tomb. Uh, the the place of execution was supposed to be outside the city, outside a city gate, with a nearby garden tomb, and also a a garden itself, like a vineyard. And there was no vineyard with the, at the Church of Holy Sepulcher. Uh, it's inside the city gate. So several problems with that. Meanwhile, there's the Gordon's Calvary location, the space of the skull, and Jesus was crucified on a major road outside the city gate. This is just a few yards outside the city gate where it is. And so it matches the biblical description. There is nearby a garden tomb with a vineyard. It was there. Now, we don't know for sure if this is exactly the correct place, but there's a first-century anchor cross carved in the side of the wall, and it shows that Jews were meeting there as a small, early Christian church in the time of the apostles. There is even a baptistry built in front of the door, with, you know, like, a, like a baptistry you could actually immerse someone in, and a plug where you'd pull it and, and a drainage area going off to a cistern. The largest cistern in the city is there for the vineyard area. So it's, it's many, many possibilities showing the Garden Tomb and Calvary could be Gordon's Calvary and the, the now connected Garden Tomb. Well, we're not sure, but it's just a strong possibility. Well, I know there are many ancient writings that mention things or facts uh, in the Bible. For example, uh, Joseph, uh, Josephus wrote a lot, Josephus and Pliny the Younger. Tell us about those two, because some of that's very, very significant. Well, Josephus tells you of Egyptians themselves writing, describing the Exodus, and even naming the name of Pharaoh. And they give the same name Pharaoh as the one we believe it is. And then later, Josephus and Pliny, Pliny the Younger, both mention Christ. 
And Josephus even talks about Christ as being possibly risen from the dead. And he believed he was a prophet. Now, we don't necessarily think he believed he was Messiah or believed in his person as Savior. But he even talked about him being a prophet and a miracle worker. Very, very interesting. And him having a brother James. And many details showing that Jesus was a historical figure, you see. So the great accuracy of the Bible, also in the writings of Luke and other things. So we have great historical, biblical facts proven with ancient writings. I know um, Luke really nails it down because... Oh, that's for sure, yes. Yeah, he's very specific. And at one time, uh, people said, well, he's wrong. This is wrong. That's wrong. Now, everything that he said, and actually he gives a lot of detail. He's really nailing it down. This is historical. Everything that he said is correct. He must have been there. He really was. I believe he was. Right, and, right. And so that's, that's important. He uses about eight different names of princes, who is the leader of the city. Sometimes it's a pro-council, sometimes someone else. And he always names them in each city by the correct title. It varied from yes. city to city. He talked about obscure things, a flood over here, another happening over here, a little thing that he just passed along writing. And these things have found are actually always true. So even every little detail he mentioned over and over again, you see the accuracy in Luke. Right. There's a lot of people have jumped on him and said, well, he's wrong here. But all of that so-called wrong has been cleared up. He's never been wrong. Well, friends, we'll be right back with Dr. Lonnie Shipman. We're talking about his latest book, King of Books, The Bible in Archaeology and History. You will want your own copy of this informative book. It's a tremendously helpful book. I really, I'm, I'm underscoring that. I just love this book. I love Dr. Shipman for, for his scholarship and his effort in putting all of this together. Indeed, we can show that the Bible is true and that the Bible is accurate. Our toll-free number for you to call and request King of Books is 1-800-652-1144. Lonnie, let's talk about some uh, current discoveries. What about Shiloh and Beth Shemesh and some other things like that? Talk to us about those. Well, Beth Shemesh, Dave... This is the city where when the ark was taken away by the Philistines and the Milchkin, the cows, brought it back to the country of Israel. They stopped at Beth Shemesh. This is where the men went and opened the ark and looked in sinfully, and many thousands, about 10,000, were killed. But they have found now a house, a temporary dwelling. They believe it was actually a temple, a temporary temple, and even a table where they believe the ark of the covenant was. Unsaved secular Jews actually say this is built like a temple, and this is a libation table where they made offerings, and, and they, there's a table where the ark would have been set, and nearby at the libation stuff. In Shiloh, they found where the tabernacle was located for 390 years, and a cursed tablet from the time of Joshua, from an altar from the time of Joshua. Now, it names the name of God in Paleo-Hebrew script, the earliest writing of the, in Hebrew in the history of the world for over 200 years earlier than anything else we had. Right. And it not only mentions writing in Hebrew in the time of Joshua, it's the name of God, Yahweh, or Jehovah, an early version of Jehovah, written in Hebrew. Now, also, this shows that Moses could have written Pentateuch. They believed, well, the Bible says Moses wrote Pentateuch. Oh, no, he couldn't have written it. They didn't have an alphabet, yeah. and he couldn't have written anything yeah. down. Well, here they now have not only proved the alphabet, they have proved they have a written language, and they even have the name of God all on the time of Joshua, who lived at the same time as Moses. So Moses could have written the Pentateuch, just like the Bible says. And they just found this a few months ago. Again, new discoveries were regularly proving the Bible is true, or evidence yeah. the Bible is true. I know for many, many years, 
Many scholars followed the JEDP, the documentary hypothesis of Julius Wellhausen. He made a lot of statements that are completely wrong. He, he was a higher critic. He made fun of the Bible. He said, you know, Moses lived around 800 AD or BC and not as early as the Bible said and so on. So all of that has been thoroughly discounted. JEDP is wrong. <laughs> Scientifically, yeah, it's so, I mean, this is fantastic. We, we have so much oh. proof. Go ahead. <laughs> oh, yes. I do not always take time to cover all these arguments. Some of them have been covered very thoroughly before, and it takes a long time to really right. dwell on it to prove your point. So what I do is I notate, and I mention this JDP argument, JEPD, and then I, I, I explain it a little bit briefly to state the, the correct view, and then I show Butlowitz several several locations to go and read the arguments, right. showing the rebuttal of these things. You see, right. I don't have time. It would take up probably 25 or 30 pages of a book to right. thoroughly handle some of these things, and it would take away. And I'm, I'm on one area to try to show the archaeology and later the manuscript history of the Bible, showing the preservation of the Word. And I don't have time to be, you might say, pulled away too much, but the evidence is there in the notes. Right. You can you can get the book and then look at the notes and follow through all the references, and you can do some legwork on your own. And of course, a lot of listeners today really do their own uh, legwork. So you give give the information where they can find this and follow it through. Yes, but sir. Uh, but uh, Lonnie, you mentioned right. manuscript history. Let's talk about manuscript history. Why is manuscript history so important to uh, the authenticity of the Bible as the Word of God? Well, see, the, the history of the manuscript showing how God gave his word and then preserves his word. Why would God inspire the word of God to last a day, right. a week, a year? Why would he not keep it eternal? Right. And if God is the word of God, Jesus is the living word, how could it not be eternal? It must be eternal and preserved by the word of God. So we should find evidence for the preservation of the Word, as well as evidence for the veracity or faithfulness, factualness of the Bible in right. archaeology. So with archaeology goes manuscript history, showing the, the background of the scrolls, the early Bibles, and, and over and over again, the, we see the Bible preserved, and then we find it preserved so accurately that it literally is the same reading today as our, our English right. Bible, such as the King James, you see. Right. I know there are a lot of uh, liberals who, uh, you know, they, they have the, the colored Bible, you know, like uh, something that's green may be authentic, something that's yellow is not authentic. <laughs> and, and I know uh, this is just crazy, but it's all been disproven. It's all been discounted historically and through manuscript history. So tell us about the canon. Now, a lot of people have a lot of questions about the canon. How did it all come together? It was, it, was God involved in the canon? Do we Shouldn't there be some uh, extra books in the Bible that uh, we've deliberately left out? There's been some kind of a conspiracy. I deal with some of the, the false, false documents. They were sometimes trying, people tried to include, this is a, a gospel of the Hebrews and certain other uh, gospel of Thomas, things like this. We discuss, we discuss all these, how these include false teaching, often like Gnosticism. Uh, they sometimes question yeah. the Trinity, sometimes have Arianism, in other words, don't believe in the Trinity, and, and also sometimes uh, question Jesus being God and things like this. So we, we, we explain about how the the church themselves 
studied these things and pulled together the canon and wrote about the canon repeatedly, then they claim later that people like Origen and Augustine, the origin of the 280s and Augustine in the early 300s, put together the canon. But what's interesting is in the 120s, 160 years earlier, they already have the canon repeated repeatedly given the names of the book right. in the same order and exactly the same name of the books 160 years before Origen ever wrote it down. Right. Showing that the church had already been supernaturally led of God to choose the canon, and we have several references of it in ancient history. So the canon was, was pulled together as the church themselves, the Holy Spirit, examined these documents and determined this led of God, which really were truly given supernaturally by the Lord. We are talking about biblical manuscripts. Now, the two early Greek text families, traditional and Alexandrian. Uh, Lonnie, why do we hold to the traditional text? Well, it's interesting. The uh, Many people today know about the possibility of two different Greeks, such as what we call the traditional Byzantine text and the Alexandrian or Greek, I'm sorry, the Alexandrian uh, Egyptian text, both mm. in Greek of the Greek New Testament. And uh, of these, they debate which is the oldest. However, we have evidence, traditional text was already, it was the text they used to translate the Italic Bible done in 120 A.D. Over and over again, we have them quoting traditional text and uh, using it in text by the 300s. Now, we do not have very many copies of the traditional text because they're done and usually on papyrus. And we have a lot of copies of the Alexandrian text, but a lot, by the way, the possibility of 70, uh, we're talking about verses or 70 pieces of, of papyrus here and there, that uh, hold this Alexandrian text. That's from Alexandria, Egypt area. They were found in Oxyrhynchus primarily, which is a city of Egypt. And I was able to study the Oxyrhynchus papyrus in Oxford, England, the largest collection of papyrus in the world. Amazing collection there, but most of that collection is Alexandrian. It was found in Egypt, so it follows the Alexandrian text. The Alexandrian text came about sometime later. We're not sure when. I throw out the possibility, and I show some proof of why it possibly was put together by the followers of Origen yes. and somebody named Eusebius. We explain why, and some of these emphasis, but we don't really know exactly for sure. But we do have evidence the traditional text is older. After, we know that most of the Bible was destroyed in the Roman persecutions of the, well, leading up to about 300 A.D. And so most of the Bible was burned away, actually, by the Romans. But then immediately after Constantine comes to power, turns the world Christian, the Roman world Christian, now it's legal to have the Bible, and immediately the church uses only the traditional text, right. although there's very few copies of it. It's interesting that they immediately choose to use traditional text. Seems to me they were already using traditional right. text, there just weren't a lot of copies. And they went right back to the text they were always using. The traditional text includes all of the New Testament that we use today. The Alexandrian text primarily is missing verses, and sometimes a few additions, usually missing verses, about uh, 10,000 changes in our Bible. Yeah. And usually it's dealing with specific areas, just as uh, the Christology, Jesus, God, the Trinity, uh, the Blood Atonement. It's not just obscure areas, it's usually specific things dealing with, is Jesus Lord, or is yeah. the Bible true, and things like this. So we hold traditional text because... Not only is it seem to be the earliest from some of this evidence, but also 
25,000 copies of ancient texts. Of them, 97% agree with the traditional text of the 25,000 ancient copies we have. However, some of the oldest are Alexandria, found only in Egypt. And I think it's very significant. The, um, the Alexandrian text, for example, in 1 Timothy 3.6, it says, Great is the mystery of godliness. He was manifest in the flesh. Well, who's he? That's the Alexandrian text. But in the uh, traditional text, it says, Great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifest in the flesh. So it's a traditional text. The deity of Christ is nailed down. But in fact, wasn't Arius who denied the Trinity? Wasn't he the librarian or something in Alexandria? And he was not a good guy. He was like the first Jehovah's Witness. Yes, he was one of the ones who originated the idea of denying Jesus was truly the Savior yeah. or denying who was to yeah. And with him, Origen seemed to lean to this, and later yeah. other people who received this promoted this. So these were people who were seen later as heretics, you might say, or people who questioned the Bible. <laughs> and so then there was a debate about this, and that's why they had some of these early synods or these early right. councils and declared that, the, that Jesus was truly the Savior, but there was a trinity, things like this. But there was debate about it at one point. So we hold the traditional text that the Bible is true, that all the great doctrines of the Bible are preserved in the Word, even though people were sometimes attacked it, even in early history. Mm-hmm. And over and over again, you see evidence. So I show the history of the manuscripts, and the deba- I show all the debates. So I'm not shying away from them. I, then I show why I hold these views, that there is truly a preserved Word of God. Amen. Amen. Well, Lonnie, thank you for these two shows. Uh, they, they've been fantastic. And, and your new book, King of Books, The Bible and Archaeology and History, that's a really a great, great masterpiece of, quote, scholarship that honors God. So thank you, brothers, so much. And I know you're probably working on another book. You're just cranking them out, but we're looking forward to uh, to having you back again, and I, I love your piano playing. I heard you, uh, I forget what it was, but in Wichita back in May, you play. Wow, you're, you're fantastic. God bless you. Well, friends. Thank you so much. <laughs> well, friends, you will want your own copy of King of Books. This is a timeless subject. You can have your own copy by picking up the phone and calling 1-800-652-1144. Sorry to stop the conversation, but we're out of time for today. You can hear the complete two-day conversation on the King of Books with Lonnie Shipman on CD when you simply call 1-800-652-1144. That's 1-800-652-1144. Friends, make sure you order your copy of Lonnie Shipman's brand new work entitled The King of Books. This book will inform and inspire you. Dr. Lonnie Shipman has traveled the world and brings his experiences and research to his brand new book, The Bible, King of Books. He's proud to proclaim that the Bible is truly the king of all books ever written. It has influenced the morals, the government, the worldview, the culture, the language and literature of the nations, as well as the growth of the churches and spiritual lives of the people. Order your copy of this fascinating work, The King of Books, when you call 1-800-652-1144. That's 1-800-652-1144. This book will excite the reader about what God has done and is about to do through the Word of God. Call 1-800-652-1144, or you can visit our website, swrc.com. 
And don't forget to come hear Jonathan Kahn live in person at our Columbus, Ohio conference. Register today by visiting the events section of our website, swrc.com, and click on events. Tomorrow, staff evangelist Josh Davis will unveil this year's very special SWRC Prophecy Calendar. Be sure to tune in on your favorite radio station by downloading our SWRC mobile app or by subscribing to our daily Watchman on the Wall podcast. Watchman on the Wall is a production of Southwest Radio Ministries and has been supported now for over 90 years by faithful listeners 